91.3 KXCI Tucson. Real people, real radio. Good afternoon, Tucson. Thanks for joining us today at 91.3 KXCI. We'd love to connect with you on our show, Broad Perspectives Radio, a program by women, about women, but for everyone. This is Kathy Harris with my co-host, Aspen Green, and you can learn more about our show on our Broad Perspectives Radio page at kxci.org. Today, we are just delighted to have our good friend, Beverly Seckinger, on the show. You Tucsonans may know her as a musician or a filmmaker, a professor, or an activist. She is all those things and more. In fact, there really isn't time to talk about everything that she does, but we're going to fit in as much as we can. Aspen, tell us about Bev. Okay. So documentary filmmaker Beverly Seckinger is a distinguished outreach professor in the School of Theater, Film, and Television at the University of Arizona, where she teaches courses in film production, documentary studies, and LGBT studies. Bev also teaches in the online graduate program in human rights practice and directs the Docscapes film series. She is a founding member of the UA LGBTQ Plus Institute and since 1993 has served as director of the Lesbian Looks film series. Lesbian Looks showcases cutting edge features, shorts, documentaries, experimental films, and new media works not otherwise available to Tucson audiences. And as you said, Kathy, she does so much. And, and I just want to mention, she does play locally in a band, which was the Wayback and Machine at one time. I think it's called Wayback and Friends Now. And she recently just played with Sabre Falk. So welcome to our show. Thank you. Uh, it's delightful such, to be here. It's it's such a pleasure to have you on our show. And today we're going to be talking about the movie being screened at the loft this coming Tuesday. It's only life after all with the Indigo Girls. But first, let's talk a little bit about you. What's going on at the U of A? Are you still currently teaching? I am. After a medical leave last spring, I'm back full force, full time teaching two undergrad classes this fall and a grad class in that human rights practice online program later this fall. Like I said, I'm very happy to be here. Okay. And since we actually work in the same college at the U of A, I remember that you won the Distinguished Outreach Professor Award. And this award recognizes faculty who have made outstanding contributions to outreach at the University of Arizona, in the state of Arizona, the nation and the world. And you had to be nominated for this, which is a big wow. That's quite an honor, yes. What do you have to say about this? You know, I was humbled and thrilled to be nominated and to, I mean, the nomination is kind of the big thing, but, you know, to receive it too. I mean, the candidate has to do a bunch of work too, to put stuff together, compile all this info about what you've done over now 30 plus years at the U of A. And then there's a, a core nomination letter that was put together by, I think, four colleagues, and then a number of other letters of support from folks in the community and and getting to read the letters. It was a little like getting to be at your own wake, which was uh, I think we cool. should all be honored while we're still alive. <laughs> I, I I totally yeah. do too. <laughs> right? I think the last time you were on our show was in 2018 when we talked about your film, Hippie Family Values. 
And we also talked about Laramie Inside Out, which was a really important film involving your hometown community where Matthew Shepard was murdered in 1998. And I heard that the School of Theater, Film and Television at the U of A is doing some programming to honor his memory. So can you tell us what is being planned and what is your involvement? Yes, I would be very pleased to. So I guess my film is going to kick off the programming from the school in October. So on October 10th, there will be a free screening at The Loft where we premiered the film, in fact, back in 2004, I think, to a full house there, which was like 500 people. And there were people like still left around the block. It was super cool. It was a very memorable night. So there will be the free screening with Q&A afterwards and several of the people in the film who have gone on to do amazing things in the last couple of decades will be there for Zoom Q&A with me. This is the 25th anniversary of that murder. Kind of incredible for those of us who remember when it happened. It was such a huge news story all around the world, in fact, which is part of what led me to want to make a film about it. It's like, whoa, in my hometown where I grew up a quietly closeted high school student, By the time this happened, we had already founded the Institute for LGB Studies at the time. The T was added in about 2000, by the way, and the the Institute has just been rechristened the LGBTQ Plus Institute just, I mean, in the last couple of weeks. So it's a teensy bit older than the Lesbian Looks film series, which was the first public program of the Institute back in 1993. So many of the people in the film ended up becoming characters in the play The Laramie Project, which was for many years the most produced play in America. Like every high school, every college, every theater kid was in a production of The Laramie Project for a long time. And it was a transformative experience for lots of these students. Mm -hmm. And incredibly, one of the creators of that work, a member of the Tectonic Theater Company, in New York at the time, Greg Pirati is a colleague of mine in the theater side of theater, film, and television now for the last several years. And he's going to be directing a new production of that play. And there'll be performances for about a week or 10 days in mid-October. Okay. And uh, Dennis and Judy Shepard, Matthew's parents, are going to come to town as well. That's what and, I was going to uh, ask. Are they still involved? I know they were in the first one. They started a foundation in Matthew's memory that is very focused on supporting kids, adolescents, LGBTQ+, everybody. And they're going to be here for a talk back after the performance of the play on October 20th. And they're going to do something else the night before that is still in the planning process. Not sure if it's going to be on campus or in the community. I suspect in the community. Yeah, I'll look forward to hearing more about that for sure. Since 1993, you have directed the annual Lesbian Looks film series, and you are celebrating 30 years this year. That's a program that's part of the University of Arizona as well. Am I right? It is. I've always said it's like the favorite thing. Well, the Human Rights Program is now a close competitor <laughs> for me for as a favorite thing I do at the U of A. But the yeah, this film series has always been uh, very uh, dear to me. May I tell you about the founding? Please do. That was so, my next question. <laughs> So the founding, which was basically some grad students and a few brand new untenured assistant professors getting together and saying, hey, they have this thing called the Center for Lesbian and Gay Studies in New York. And why don't we have one here? We're going to march into the provost office and demand to have something (laughs) about this area. And thus was born what at the time was called the committee, which is the teensiest thing you can be at the U of A and still be a thing that's official. And the first director of it was my colleague, Janet Jacobson, who has since gone on to lead the Center for the Study of Women at Barnard College. And she's a very distinguished 
scholar of LGBTQ slash religious studies. She and I sat down with a, a catalog from a distributor called Women Make Movies one day and said, hey, let's put on a film series. Let's like see what's in the catalog and make some films happen. And we asked our departments for money to support it. And we got like $100 here and $100 there. And we showed these films sight unseen. I mean, we didn't even preview them. We didn't know what we were doing. We just you know thought, oh, these look cool and got the word out and people came and it was gratifying and amazing. And we just kept doing it. Um, so the selection process got a lot more targeted and intentional for quite a while there. We had a submission process, which was extremely labor intensive. All these VHS tapes coming in to preview. Wow. The formats, of course, have changed over the years from 16 millimeter VHS, DVDs. We've been in many venues from the Modern Language Auditorium to the AME Auditorium on like every possible venue on campus. How big room. were those venues? On the, how many people did they hold? 350 people, I believe. Oh, okay. We've been in a lot of venues, but when the loft, well, I, mean, I can't remember when the loft moved to its current digs. They've been there for quite a while, too. I remember when they were on the other side of 6th Street in a little teeny thing called the New Loft, which was, you know, upstairs. I remember. I've been here since 1975. <laughs> yeah. so. Wow. Well, with fewer seats than the screening yeah. room. So, you know, 50 seats or something. We've been doing it at the loft for quite a while now, which is the optimal screening facility in Tucson in, in every way. So tell us about why you think that it's still relevant and where are you at now with it? What's the iteration now? Yes, it's been so interesting watching the movement evolve over all of these years, like in the early 90s. And, you know, when Matthew Shepard was killed in 1998 and the making of that film, there were a lot of closeted students on university campuses. It was not just this easy breezy, you know, oh, by the way, I'm gay thing. Right. At that time, there was very little media made by and for this audience. And the core audience was the lesbian audience at that time. Other people come, hooray, welcome, you know, but let's see our stories made by us, for us, and let's see them together and talk about the films and have a reception or a go hear a band afterwards and talk about the films. So it very quickly, I mean, from the first one, it was like, oh, this isn't just a film screening. It's a community building event where people are so thrilled to just be in the room with a critical mass of other women. Who can be quiet? And don't uh, worry, we love dogs on our show. Oh, all right then. Go ahead, Mark. <laughs> Even at, maybe at that first one, it was like, wow, here you all are. You came, you found the modern language, you found parking near here, you found the modern language auditorium. And let's see who's here. Does anybody have any announcements that would be of interest to that? Like, here's all the lesbians in town, you know? Like, what do you want to tell them? And then people would stand up and say, hey, I have a photo show coming up at the something or other gallery, or I have a poetry reading coming up, or this is happening, or I'm opening a new shop or something. And every screening, there would be like a grassrootsy community. It's still that, you know, and over the years, the content of the films, the quality of the films, the number of films to choose from, everything has changed enormously. There were, when we started the series, you could name on a hand and a half, the lesbian episode of Designing Women, you know, L.A. Law of the Golden Girls, you know, the lesbian episode. And there were a dozen feature films, yeah. period. Nothing, you know, nothing out there. So 
much of what we showed was made at film schools, low budget, new work. And over time, as equipment got better and more accessible and more people went to film school, it's just like the, the work got better, the work got more diverse, the t- subject matter quickly moved just from, you know, your basic coming out kind of tale to every other kind of subject matter through this lens. And we began mm-hmm. partnering with not just women's studies in English and media arts, who were our first supporters, but with Middle East studies, with the Cancer Center, with all kinds of departments on campus for a film with a Middle Eastern storyline or with Orthodox Jewish lesbians in Jerusalem storyline, or it may be breast cancer storyline, a refugee storyline, all you know through this lens. You know, we raised the money to, to make it happen through little contributions, 100, 150 bucks, 200 bucks, you know, from numerous entities around campus for a total budget of maybe two grand a year for many years because- I don't know how you did it on two grand a year, but- Because we use campus venues. Right. And which at the time- And campus equipment, I guess. Which you didn't have to, you know, you didn't have to pay for at the time. Right. Now, Now everything costs. Right. The real money was either renting the film from a distributor, but mostly paying the maker directly a screening fee. Yeah. So the makers got, you know, 50 bucks or 100 bucks or or if it was yeah. a feature, the rare feature, you know, like 300 bucks. Well, I and can that, see that, why this is all still mm-hmm. relevant now and even maybe more relevant now and will be relevant in the future as well. This is such important work. We are going to take a music break because we oh, have great. a fabulous song that Kathy's going to tell us about. And when we come back, we'll talk about It's Only Life After All, the film that is going to be screening this next Tuesday night. So over to you, Kathy. Yes, and the song that we have is very appropriate to that movie. The song is called The History of Us from the Indigo Girls album. Do you want to tell us, Bev, why you chose this song? That was my favorite song of their first album. My and my partner's favorite song of that first album, which we brought with us on a cassette. One, one of our only vacations in our whole lives together to Cape May, New Jersey. It's just and it's a very beautiful song. It is. And just the fact that it was on a cassette tells us how old it is. (laughs) And let me just mention that the Indigo Girls met in elementary school and began performing together as high school students in Georgia. In 1990, they won a Grammy Award for Best Contemporary Folk Album, and they were also nominated for the Best New Artist. But importantly, the Indigo Girls are also politically active, championing the causes of the environment, gay rights, the rights of Native Americans, and the National Coalition to Abolish the Death Penalty. Very cool. This song, The History of Us, honestly, I was not familiar with this until you chose it, Bev. It's one of the most beautiful, haunting songs I've ever heard. It talks of the impermanence of everything in life and the need to love now before it ends. So let's listen to The History of Us by the Indigo Girls from their album, The Indigo Girls. 91.3 KXCI Tucson. You know, I really can't get over that beautiful, really extraordinary song. And we're returning now to our interview with Bev Seconder of the Lesbian Looks film series. Okay, yes, that was a very beautiful song. Let's talk about It's Only Life After All, which premiered at Sundance in January, but you have chosen it for the film for your 30th anniversary. I must say that I'm a huge fan of the Indigo Girls, so I'm thrilled. But why did you choose this for your 30th anniversary? We have a whole 30th anniversary season in progress. There's another great film coming in November. There's a filmmaker who's one of my favorite filmmakers of all time coming in February and more programming to happen. So this is the actually, yeah, the premiere of the 30th season. Okay. And the way that programming works 
these days is sometimes it's films by friends of mine that I am dying to share. Sometimes it's just like films that I've heard of and I preview and am wowed by. And sometimes it's what can I get and that meets those criteria. So this film, I was so thrilled to discover A, that it had been made, B, that it had been at Sundance, C, that it was still in distribution, even though they're obviously looking for theatrical distribution right now. And I was afraid that we might lose it to, you know, no, sorry, we're not doing these one-off screenings anymore. It's going to be in a multiplex or something. And partly I'm thrilled because I know that people will be interested. People love the Indigo Girls. I love the Indigo Girls. And partly their story spans kind of this whole time of the, like the lesbian looks history and a bit beyond. Yeah. And my own lesbian history, basically, they were Melissa Etheridge and the Indigo Girls and Tracy Chapman all kind of came on the scene right around the same time in the late 80s. And so did I. They were the soundtrack to that time. And to everybody, not just to the lesbian community. I mean, they were just appealing to everybody. I still love to listen to all of those. Absolutely. They completely transcend any niche marketing. I just saw Melissa Etheridge, thankfully, when she was here. I love her. A few months ago. It was just fantastic. But a lot of the material in the film, Amy Ray took home movies for this whole time, probably in all those formats too, right? VHS and hi and this format and that format and then on her phone and stuff. And so it's a very intimate film. There's tons of that material all woven throughout the film. That's what I was going to ask you, what was in the film? Because I know they're also activists, so I would assume that they would talk about their work with Winona Ledoux. And I also wanted to know, though, was are we going to look forward to hearing a lot of their music? Maybe less music than you would expect. But yeah, there's, there's absolutely music, and there's just all kinds of archival materials. The director also edited this film, I just can't even imagine. There's just like mountains and mountains of, you know, all these like old boxes of tapes and radio performances, recordings, and, you know, just all kinds of material. And also just their openness in the interview. It's completely not a formal, cautious interview that, you know, my manager will approve of or something. They're very hanging out with you, being open about everything. It's so interesting to hear them reflect on their careers and on the changes that I had begun to talk about earlier, just in the world since that time including their own sense of their gender identities at this new time where there are all kinds of gender identities that nobody really thought of, you know, 35 years ago, certainly not talk about and what have you. And just for the record, people out there, you know, everybody thought they were a couple, right? They were never a couple. They were friends and remain friends. And some of what the film is, is trying to do is really provide a portrait of these two extremely distinct people, very different people who nevertheless have been playing music together for such a long time, involved in different activisms together over a long time. And it just, you know, resonates with me on all of these different levels. And I know the older audience will appreciate it. And I hope the the younger audience members will find it really interesting. It's a free event. So could you explain to us, I mean, do we need to make reservations and and let us know where it's at, what time, what we need to do to reserve our seats. Yes, uh, it is free, but the tickets are will be available at the loft on the day of the show. So you can just go to the loft website to find out what to do. You can probably get them online. You can perhaps get them by calling or you could go to the theater during the day then. Uh, but it's going to be in the big theater. Okay. All so, right. And hope, hopefully we'll pack it pretty good. But, you know, don't don't wait to the last minute because sometimes things do fill up. We certainly plan on being there. 
I had wanted to ask you how many films had been presented in these 30 years and who were the, some of the distinguished filmmakers that you were proud to say you hosted. Is there somewhere that we can go to look up that information? If you go to lesbianlooks.org, there is a whole section called history where you can read about like all the films we've shown since 1993 and see the press and stuff like that. And just it's the scope of what we've done. We brought a lot of filmmakers in. Had a lot of discussion panels, covered every sort of topic you could imagine as those topics eventuated in the society. And I'm, I don't know, really pleased. I'm really pleased with how things have evolved. And I'm excited for what will happen after the 30th anniversary. We kind of ran out of time. Am I correct, Kathy? (laughs) Well, I said when we started, we're not going to be able to talk about everything, (laughs) but we've fit in as much as we could. I want another couple of hours. Come on. Man. <laughs> I would like to have another couple yes. of hours. And certainly, you know, you have other things coming up, like in February, like you said. So please come on our show again. We'd love to have you. Bev Seconder, thank you so much for taking the time to talk to us about the Lesbian Looks film series and all the other things you do. It's amazing how much you accomplish and how much you contribute to our community. So we really appreciate you. And thanks to all of you out there for listening. And you can learn more about our show on our Broad Perspectives page at kxci.org. But now don't touch that dial because next up we have Boom Goddess Radio with Jennifer Davis Page. Enjoy your Sunday and we'll see you next week.